Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a Catholic priest with a serious sense of humor. Uh, my friend and fellow Irishman, Father Len McMillan. Yo, Father Len. Top of the morning to you, Irish. Now, you've got to deliver on uh, your sense of humor, my promise there, Father Len, at some point. I don't know whether we've got that kind of a subject today, but uh, keep that in mind. All right. Although, actually, I think you overestimate my sense of humor. My family does not think I have a sense of humor. (laughs) Well, I like it anyway. So I'm really kind of excited about our subject today. There are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Bible about the coming of Christ, And strangely, even with all this information and prior knowledge from all these prophecies, people back in the day ended up getting it all wrong about how, why, and where God took on human flesh and became one of us. And very few people showed up when Christ was born. So I can't wait to hear why you think this happened and what we can learn from it. Father Lynn, let's get started. Okay, I... I love that question because first I think we have to start with us human beings and our self image, kind of the problem with personal bias. They did this study that I think is kind of funny. And that is 90% of all drivers think that they're better drivers than the average person. And interestingly enough, even after in the middle of an accident of having an accident, They'll ask people, how do you think you are as a driver? And they always say that they're better than other people. They're still better even after a big accident. And it's kind of funny because I am a bad driver. I simply am a bad driver. And once I was teaching a class at St. Ignatius and I asked if there's any questions. I can't remember what I was teaching. And one kid raises his hand. They said, oh, yeah. You know, like I think I'm really connecting. Yeah, what's your question? He said, well, my dad and I saw you driving. You're a bad driver. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, yes, I, I do know I'm a bad driver. I don't know why I am a bad driver. I often hit curbs. This but, is right in the middle of your teaching. You think you're yeah, really, so you know, you're really. I wasn't really hitting home there either. But um, <laughs> I, I'm just a bad driver. I don't mean to be. It's just what it is. But 90% of all people think that they're good drivers. That's statistically impossible. So the point being is that, wow, they really look through the lens of their own ego. They interpret the facts through their bias. And they did this study on political opinions. In the study, they asked people these questions, and people always say that they use logic to decide their political opinion. And then they'll ask them about some fake bill, you know, and they just make it up on this subject. Now, if they tell the participant the position of their political parties, then they'll make the decision based on which party they belong to. And they'll agree with whatever party they agree with. So about a fake, uh, so about like a fake piece of legislation or something they know nothing about. And when they hear which party is in favor of it, they're in favor of it. Yeah. (laughs) But, but they logic it out, of course. They really and, thought and it through. And they'll still say that they are 100% logical, even though the bill doesn't exist. Now, <laughs> if they're not told that, they don't come to a quick decision on it. That's a really interesting part. Uh, so they're really looking at reality through the lenses of their own perspective. 
And people like to think that they interpret the world rationally, but there's just no evidence for that. We are not rational. We're creatures of desires and we come up with our position and then we justify it with reasons. So if you see the world through your own ego, then yes, I am a great driver and my opinions are always logical and right. Us human beings have a problem that it takes a lot of effort to truly see yourself and not through the lens of your personal bias. That's humility. It takes great humility and freedom from one's ego to truly see. And the same thing is happening with these prophecies about Christ, all the prophecies in the Bible, that people look at them first through the lens of their own ego. And therefore, they really never come up with the right interpretation. You have to look at all these prophecies through the lens of what God thinks. And so the Christmas story is really shocking. It has this great irony that I love because Christ is born and all of human history, the whole Testament from the beginning of Genesis is waiting for this the Messiah who's going to come and set us free. So the shock is, look who gets it right. The first to show up are the shepherds. Now that's pretty shocking because shepherds were illiterate. They were uneducated on all these prophecies. There's no way they could keep all the laws of the Bible. And that really, that's why the Pharisees didn't like the shepherds. And yet it's the shepherds who find first where the Lamb of God is. The ones who didn't have all the prophecies memorized because the shepherds were humble. And being humble is more important than knowing the Bible backwards and forward. At least you can see reality. Or the second group is the Magi. And that's really shocking because the Magi, they're not Jewish. They're Zoroastrian priests. They're non-Jews. They are highly educated. They're astronomers. Astronomy and religion kind of fit together. But they, the Zoroastrians had this also this prophecy of this great king. In their prophecies, the star would reveal the great king. So they're always checking out astronomy, and they saw the star. Uh, and it's their scientists, and their education led them to Christ. And I wouldn't say memorized education. It was that they, they symbolized, yes, the educated, but the educated who really want to learn, not just memorize. So they uh, believed the, the star... Priest. So they believed the star would take them to the right place. They didn't have any prejudice about where Christ might be born and in what setting or any of that kind of stuff. They 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 believed the star would lead them there. They were humble right. enough to do that and and sincere enough in their trying to, to seek the truth. And you have to kind of think, well, why the Jews had a prophecy as well about the star except the temple priest ignored the stars and they were well-educated. Herod, the Magi literally comes to King Herod, this ruthless dictator. And Herod gets from the priest, well, where's the Christ going to be born? And it's in Bethlehem. So why didn't the temple priest and Herod go to meet the great king? Because the temple priests were more concerned about their own hierarchical power than actually having go to this, you know, dump of a place, Bethlehem, a wide spot in the road. Or Herod is so concerned about losing his power that he's not going to go there to show reverence. He's going to go there to kill. And 
their own egos prevented them from getting there. And so the other shock, I, I like this. St. Paul says, from all eternity, God had been waiting to take on human form to teach us how to be true human beings. And the shock is God is rushing to become a human being. And the irony is human beings are rushing this other direction, trying to gain what they think is this godlike status of power and being removed from other people's problems and wealth. And so, you know, their ego is actually, even if they know all the prophecies, their egos are actually letting them come up with a wrong interpretation or not do anything. So how could all these religious people get it wrong? Because there are over 400 prophecies about the Christ in the Old Testament. And the prophecies are very specific enough that mathematically the probability of Jesus fulfilling even just a handful of them is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. So if I gave you that many details, if I gave you 465 details of Irish, where to meet me, <laughs> at this location, at this time, this is how you can recognize me. If I gave you, if we've never met, and I told you when, where, and 465 predictions of how you will recognize me in the crowd, you would think, oh, I've got this nailed, right? You'd think, oh, it's going to be really easy to pick out, you know, Father, Father Lynn. Yep. Yeah. Unless you're looking at through your own ego looking through your own lenses of ego, interpreting everything I say egoistically, then all 465 won't help recognize who I am. You're almost going to exaggerate the difficulty because each 465 specific is going to be wrong and you multiply that many wrongs and you're really going to have a problem. You're really, yeah. And you're what you're going to, if you're, interpreting it through the lens of your own ego, you're going to be looking for somebody who's just like you, where that's not what my 465 predictions were talking about. Technically, all of Scripture, the history, all of it speaks about Christ. But you'd think all these people who were so eager to meet the Christ would have been aware when the Christ was born. And so the ancient rabbis, they studied all 465 prophecies about the Messiah. And they knew that Messiah would happen in their generation. So they're highly geared up. If you know that Christ is going to be born in this generation, because the prophecies let them know, know the time. They were so taken up that they were all studying. Even this group of priests went out into the desert and became kind of like monks. They're called the scene monks. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were written. They prayed night and day so that they would see the Messiah. They had these strict fasting and water ablutions. And then they wrote out in five different scrolls listing all the compilation of prophecies about the Christ so they wouldn't miss it. And yet they did. The problem with the scenes is that, yeah, they were praying and they were having these ablution rites and they wrote out all the prophecies so they wouldn't miss anything. But the scenes in all honesty were filled with a lot of hate. They hated anybody who wasn't as pure as them. They hated the temple priests who were corrupt. They're very judgmental towards other people. And so, yeah, they could memorize the prophecies, 
but they're so filled with being judgmental. They weren't ready to meet the Christ because they have those lenses of ego in front of them. They would have known when the Christ was born. I mean, Gabriel, Daniel, let them know the generation. And it's 14 generations after King David. And they would have known where the Christ was going to be born. They knew the prophecies of Bethlehem. And yeah, they were getting ready. So you would think that they would be completely ready. But if you see the world, or even the Bible, through your own ego, then yes, I'm a great driver. It's clear, because my opinions are always right. And so, yeah, they could memorize the prophecies, but my interpretation is always right. It takes great humility to get to the freedom from one's ego, to take off the glasses of, I'm always right. So the same thing happens with the prophecies about the coming of Christ. If you read the prophecies or any part of the Bible through the lens of your own ego and social position, then you're always going to come up with the wrong interpretation. So it's not a matter of memorizing the prophecies. It's a matter about like the shepherds being free because you're humble or the Magi, you're free to really see because you're sincere. That would be the most important. So, um, so, so this is ahead. kind of a cautionary tale for reading the Bible too, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely. anything in the Bible. That was strange part is if you look at the history of the church in 2000 years, it's the same story over and over and over. Those who have taken the, ego glasses off and truly conceive. That's why the church goes on this Advent retreat every year. So so just as some people miss the first coming of Christ, even with knowing the time and the place of the birth, some of us now will be missing the coming of Christ in our present reality. They missed it back then, even with all that knowledge. We miss Christ among us now. So that every year, Catholics go on this Advent retreat so they can get ready to see the Christ. Advent is not about getting ready to celebrate Jesus' birthday. It's so this not- is the this is the four weeks leading up to oh, yeah, uh, Christ's birthday. This is what we well, Catholics call Advent. Yeah. So Advent is four weeks where we get ready to see in new ways, see the light in the darkness. So Advent is preparatory, not commemorative. It's about getting ready to see something, not about something in the past. And even all the readings during Advent is about stay awake to what's important in life. I'm not sure why some people really kind of fall into this coma where they're more concerned about what Kim Kardashian is wearing (laughs) or whatever. But they're really not ready to see hatred, selfishness, ego, it blinds us from finding God, even if we know all the prophecies and can quote the Bible. That's why the shepherds made it to the manger. They're humble. The Magi, they're not concerned with the political division in Israel. They just want to find the king. Interesting. So So all these past prophecies, they're really not about recognizing Christ in Bethlehem. All the prophecies are trying to wake us up to Christ now. So what I'm more interested in is not how these prophecies did fulfill, but how 
how these prophecies continue to wake us up to find Christ now, not in the past. The problem with the prophecies is that they only make sense when you interpret them through the lens of how God sees, how God is reading them. But if you read them through your own socio-political lens of your prejudice and even your social background, you'll always interpret them wrong. Um, They don't help much to actually predict the future. They're about helping you see that the future is here. How to be aware of the presence of God. How to line your heart up now. So can I give you just a couple examples of what I mean? I'd love to have you do Um, that so that people can kind of get a sense of how they might be humble enough, how they might have the sincerity, how they can take off those glasses or lenses or whatever and, and, and hear what you're talking about. I think that would be awesome. Okay, so... The Christ, when he comes, was going to be a priest, prophet, and king. So he'd be perfectly all three. The problem is that even the Dead Sea Scrolls, these monks who are going over and over, couldn't see how he could be all three. So they assumed that there had to be some mistake, that there had to be two messiahs. One would be a king, and the other one would be a warrior. Because it does say that the Christ will be this Davidic king. And he was known as the scepter and the prince of peace and the branch of Jesse. But he'd be this warrior king in this eschatological battle that would destroy evil. It'd be like a Mad Max king. So they're waiting for this king to fit their socio-political image of a king that is going to kick the teeth out of everybody who we hate. <laughs> yeah, work crown of gold and makes other people suffer. So that's what all warriors do. I mean, from a human perspective, we go out and kill people and and people we don't like or that get in our way and whatever, but that's that's not God's interpretation or intention for for being a warrior. That's, that's, That's just our ego. Yeah. Christ is a king who wears a crown, but not a crown of gold, a crown of thorns. And he is a king that doesn't have other people suffer. He's a king that suffers himself. He is a king that's going to destroy evil by conquering death and fear itself, not by putting to death other people who don't belong to his kingdom. The ego comes up with a completely different interpretation. Christ is a king. He will de- is in this battle of good versus evil, but he's going to destroy evil by destroying its power of death and fear, or Christ is a high king. It's, I mean, it's amazing when you think about it, as simple as the idea that God allowed us to kill him, <laughs> you know. I mean, he comes here so that we can get rid of our fear of death and dying and, 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 and learn how to live by dying himself, allowing us to kill him. I mean, this talk about unexpected for this all-powerful God. I mean, it's that, that's the perfect description of the problem with interpreting some of the words and things in in our ways it it really is yeah so just just the word king has that or he's going to be a high priest well their image of a high priest is somebody with a lot of power and fancy robes and had a lot of servants carrying out their will and would lead a sacrifice well Jesus is a high priest at the Last Supper. He's literally wearing the robe of a priest. And he too has servants, you know, the 12. 
and he too leads a final sacrifice. It's much different than the hierarchical priesthood. Jesus is what's called in the line of Melchizedek. Even if what, what is that, Father Land? The- oh, Melchizedek, he happens before the hierarchical priesthood. Melchizedek is this priest of who's a king of the city of peace who has no father, no mother, and is ancient of days. So the Jews really couldn't figure out who Melchizedek is, but it's an image of Christ. And Christ has no beginning or end. He's God. But they're kind of picturing a priest who would be this pompous high priest like they're used to. But a true priest. <laughs> like they are, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So once again, ego came up with a completely different interpretation. And the odd part is that the Bible even warns us about that. It warns against false prophets. And if the, the false prophets are those who interpret scripture through their own agenda. And the problem is people always want to control and power over the future. So even when they're listening to the prophecies, they always interpret it where they're on top. Like <laughs> to me, a great example of a false prophecy is that those Tim LaHaye books left behind. I think that's total false prophecies because if you really know the prophecies, that book has got it completely wrong. But I tell you, it also supports all, you know, God hates the same people he hates. Isn't that amazing? They're literally profiting from these false prophets. False prophet is because you're interpreting it through your own ego. So interpreting the future based on the Bible has been horrible because it's always tainted with uh, the person's own greed or hatreds and prejudices. So, yeah, the Bible even warns against doing this uh, over and over and over against false prophets. In the same way that the ancient priests and the Pharisees misread the prophecies about Christ to match their own agenda, people do that today. You know, it's kind of done all the time. Various religious sects are always getting ready to rewrite the Bible that it just matches their prejudice. So uh, the power of sincerity and humility and love that actually needs to be developed along with studying the prophecies. So, Go Father ahead. Lynn, what is, what is the best way for someone to kind of avoid this, to try to get a proper interpretation of the prophecies of the Bible and, and not filter it through their own ego and their own life experience and their own uh, self-image and belief and all that kind of stuff. What uh, do you have any thoughts on? Well, on how to I do, do that. I, I, the first would be um, like this famous theologian said years ago: if Jesus took on flesh today, he would still end up crucified by religion and pro- politics again, because that's who we are. So the first step is the humility to recognize that yes, even if I have the whole Bible memorized. What you need to develop along with study is love and humility. At least let the first step admit that, wow, no, everything I, how I see the world is completely wrong. And it takes a lifetime of conversion before you actually even see reality as it is. Otherwise, I am a great driver. My opinions are always correct. 
it takes a lifetime to really lose those glasses. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for studying the scripture, but in the background, I know, you know, like thousands of people before me in ancient of days, people always first interpret it through their own selfish lens. That is the first step. So you know, just- years ago, I read a book called Awareness by uh, Anthony DeMello. And really the theme of the whole book, it caused me to really reflect on myself. And one of the biggest themes in the book was that as human beings, sadly, we're all motivated by selfishness. And there's almost always a selfish motive in everything we do if we're humble enough and honest enough to really examine it. You know, and it's it's when our motive isn't selfish that the the motive is proper. And and that's been something that I mean in almost everything I do, I I try as best I can to examine what my motive is. And you know, if No, I I think it's kind of funny because um this is a strange story. Um you know, when I was I was ordained when I was 28 years old, which to me is very young. And I'm a good student. But one of my close friends asked me a opinion once and I gave him my emphatic answer. <laughs> um, and then years later, I somehow came up that uh, I mentioned a completely different opinion. And he says, well, you change your position. And uh, by this time I'm 40. And he said, you change your position. I believed, you know, X because you said it <laughs> so emphatically. And I, my reply is, my God, I was 28 years old. What did I know? And I always take an emphatic position. I always think I'm right. Like, I really do. And the problem is, the older you get, you realize, gosh, I am an idiot. <laughs> uh, and, like, time humbles you if, you're, if you at least try. With a little bit of awareness, you realize, wow, I really have interpreted the world from my own perspective. And I know I'm, I just think it takes years to gain humility. And so I'm all for studying the Bible, but just because you can literally quote the Bible verbatim in every prophecy, it doesn't do much good without a heart of love and humility. I love that, Father Len. I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap this up. I really do. I think uh, if we all come away with a little humility and certainly humility as we read the Bible and a little reflection, self-reflection on where we are and who we are, I think that's a wonderful message. So we welcome your comments and questions on this episode or any of our episodes, and it's real easy to get those to us. You just head over to our website. That's www.gshow.com www.gshow.com. You'll see a questions button there, and you just click on it, and you'll find a bunch of ways to get to us. And if you're enjoying the Wrestling with God show, and we hope you are, please share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover us. And we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives with a big dose of humility. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm